This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Timothy Pickety, how are thee? Ryan, I'm, you know, same as usual. Great. Alive and here <laughs> and ready to talk about horror films, I hope. Mm-hmm. It's a nice rainy day here in Los Angeles. That's the mood we will be carrying forth to you listening on a hopefully snowy, rainy December day, wherever you may be. Full sweatpants. Oh. Tim's representing today. <laughs> anyway, if you didn't know, or if you need the reminder, this is Dismembering Horror, episode 69 of Dismembering Horror, 30 away from Tim's just like wants to say something so bad. <laughs> if you guys could see the smirk on his face. <laughs> yes, Tim, it's episode 69. Do you have any I'm comment not, about that? Nope. Okay, great. I'm not doing it. It means we're one away from 70. Yep. And, um... And we're going to talk about uh, Sam Neill going insane, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Oh, it's it happens, you know, kind of often. Yeah. The trilogy of films that we've um, we haven't watched yet. Event Horizon has been a submission. So we do that. We covering yep. this and then yep. we covered um, possession. possession. There's mm. the Sam Neill going Absolutely. insane. Absolutely. Uh, Lovecraftian Cosmicore trilogy. Hell yeah. Okay, I didn't quite get... Can you finish it, Tim, our intro? Oh, uh, where were you? Dismembering Horror, the, the, the podcast show where we talk about horror films and then dismember them by talking about what worked and what didn't work and things of note and that we found interesting. And um, I'm your co-host, Tim Aslan, and that's your co-host, Ryan McDuffie. That's me. And... Uh, and for all of you horror people who need a friend <laughs> <laughs> here we are <laughs> we hope you a lot of this is this is one of those films we watched in the mouth of madness that i feel like is um this was recommended to me before we did this show yeah this is a- i i was one of those things where i like put it out in to the world being like, I need to find a scary, an actually scary movie who thinks that they know one. And Someone this was one of the this. ones that somebody said. This is one that I did watch like a year or two ago for the first time when we were doing it, this show already. So I guess like a year ago. But I think it's our first film that was a recommendation of that we went on to now talk about. I recommended this film, I believe. In oh, an really? Episode. Yeah. Interesting. Shit, dude. Because full circle. I go, oh, yeah, appropriate for this <laughs> film. Where does it start? Where does it end? Oh, I don't We've know. We've been in this closet this whole time, Tim. <sighs> um. Well, okay. I think that's it. Should we, should we, I mean, we already mentioned the film. Anything else you want to mention before we watch the trailer? I Febrezed the the closet today. I 
you just know, in case it's great because i you can say know. it doesn't smell bad that's great it smells innocuous mm, meaning no smell perfect so i hope it smells okay to you listening <laughs> and <laughs> do you want to hear the trailer people tim i do okay all right here it is the partial trailer at least for you of from 1994 john carpenter film in the mouth of madness this one will drive you absolutely mad the riots began because the stores could not meet the demand of sutter kane's novel in the mouth of madness kane disappeared two months ago without a trace the guy that writes horror books you can forget about stephen king kane outsells them all I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. <sighs> I said 1994 because that's what Wikipedia says, but this trailer says 1995, which is it, Tim? Nothing's real. Oh, man, Uh, I don't know. Okay. That, Tim, is real. Um, (laughs) It came out December 10th, 1994 in Italy and February 3rd, 95 in the United States. Um, The episode that you recommended this was... Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> Something to wash the taste out of our mouth for sure. Yeah. Which means that if you couldn't tell, I really like this film. Enough, Tim. Here it comes. I want to own it. I want it on my shelf. It's a buy it for me. Wow, right it, in. This is it is it's just everything I love. It's like wow. it's this is what can I say? Everything I wanted to say, it's everything I love about something, but <laughs> lost the train of thought. Um, it's everything the, you love about Jurgen <laughs> Proc now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like we're always looking. I don't know. I always wanted like a Lovecraftian cosmic horror movie and hadn't ever seen one that does everything I want like out of that movie. Hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, if this one, the only thing, I still want one that's maybe set in like the kind of Lovecraftian era we think about would be cool. Ooh, that would be cool. But as far as like an investigation, you know, straight up a super like hard nosed skeptic, you know, reality guy. And then, um, and then just doing the thing of where's where, where it gets meta in the horror that you would want from like, (laughs) we're, we're questioning what's real and what's not with the character. Mm -hmm. Like that's just everything I want from this kind of story. And it did it. And it had Sam Neill. Hmm. <laughs> and he's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's missing a couple things that I think I want. I'll agree. I do have things that's like could. Just... Or maybe that I expect. Yeah. In this type of story. I liked it more. I mean, it, it grows on me. I don't know, but. I think I just am like whatever things maybe quote unquote weren't working for me are easily forgiven. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a rent. I mean, just straight up rent. Straight up rented. Mm-hmm. As far as the 90s John Carpenter films, though, 
this is kind of it's maybe... probably one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are our other options? I don't know off the top of, of my of head. That era, Starman. That's in the Starman 80s, was eighties. I remember that. I remember watching that as a kid. And yeah, I kind of got it, but I don't think I really got it. How would we summarize the film, Tim? Let's see. Well, it starts in the insane asylum. So we're going, so it's basically the story of, wow, how did this guy get so crazy? How is this guy screaming with the rest of the people in the insane asylum? I'm not insane. And then we cut to seeing him totally. Well, he's, he's a, he's, he's a smoker. It's his stress. It's, it's, here's the thing. It's his retelling of his insanity so right off the bat he is a completely unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. so that alone i think allows a lot of leeway in how we receive the story is it also allowed a lot of leeway in the story the fact that he may just be a character in a book written by a character in this film is the is the character in this film you know what i mean like yeah. like is that a real yeah i mean it's all it's all fucking up for grabs that's what i love about it. but deliberately <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah yeah that way that i love so much so really it's him he's telling a, his own story of how he went on a kind of he's an insurance task. fraud investigator yeah an investigation to find the author of a famous series of books that has disappeared. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of a, like, a mystery and put together the clues and track him down and find where he is and then all... I'd say for the first half hour, then it just becomes Mm, like... I think it's more than that, but, you know, yeah. As as far as clues having any meaning... Like, <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. The, Once they get to the town, Hobbs. I end. mean, what I love so much yeah. about it, what it's like a story about, is just sort of it uses that setup as of like you know a sort of detective story, figure out the clues, but then is slowly just like, sorry, none of that matters in a world that doesn't have an up and down that's mm-hmm. going completely insane and is taking you with us. It's just for me, it turns into like pure horror, just in that unsettling you know, no, no hope of any hope. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, kind of horror stark, very stark and eerie to be caught up in. I hadn't really thought about this in any in-depth way, but these stories always sort of feel at least in the same vein as the sort of Dante's Inferno thing, where you're just kind of going deeper into these levels of craziness. And Maybe that's, maybe there's some like clear intentional, um, uh, like outward connection to that, that I didn't, I didn't look into it. What? In other words, (laughs) like maybe there's a one-to-one. Oh, in Dante's Inferno, literally? Yeah. Like maybe literally we could look at this movie and go, okay, so this section is this. I don't know. But I don't think I, this plotting all seems kind of in itself enough that I don't think it has any overt framework that it'd be referencing. Um, But I like that story. You know, I like, I like this type of story a lot. We're not summarizing this at all. Are we? I think we did (laughs) enough that we have to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, what else can you say? He, he finds the author. Yep. Shit just gets nutso. Yeah, once he finds the town that the author is in, which is a f- the, f- the fictional town of you, the books, but it's also maybe not. Yeah, I would sort of broadly summarize it as this. He is given a task to find this author. And when he gets to the town, he effectively steps into the story, like Mm -hmm. of the author's new book. Mm -hmm. And then- Which is called In the Mouth of Madness. Right. And then we have to decide as he makes discoveries in the town- and tries to escape the town, whether or not when he escapes, he is still in the book or if he is in reality, I guess. Or if it's been in the book or some combination therein all along. Exactly. Great. Okay, let's do it. Our first section. <laughs> our first, uh, what should I say? Um, that was not our first section. Our first section that warrants a theme <laughs> yeah yeah all right here it is what worked it worked like a charm smith <laughs> god what if every single thing we did on this show had a theme <laughs> you mean our trailer section, our rating, our summary, our yeah. recommendations, yes. our next week's movie, or where you can find us, and then our sign-off? Yes. <laughs> Let's not. God, that would be annoying. I mean, I think it'd be funny. Anyways. I what, agree it'd be funny. What worked once for you about In the Mouth of Madness, Tim? Uh, well, essentially what we were just saying, the, the construct of like dissolving reality and like a a character kind of Alice in Wonderlanding. Yeah. Like it, it lays on the crazy so well, Mm -hmm. both to us and to, uh, Sam Neill's character, Trent. I will say how early on did you sort of key in that he might be in the story that he might be living out the pages of the book as far as just something like cosmic horror outside of con- you know rational sense can is concerned as soon as there's i mean there's that great it's it's a great scene of the guy who turns out to be the agent approaching him mm-hmm. with the axe from the window and it's the fact that like right after the guy that um that trent's meeting with charlton says, heston huh charlton heston no, no, no. Oh, in, oh, in the coffee oh, shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he asked him, have you ever heard of Sutter Kane or whatever? And then right before he can necessarily res- you know, respond much to that, the guy breaks down the window and then asks him, uh, do you read Sutter Kane? Mm-hmm. So that sort of like repetition, Sutter Kane, Sutter Kane, mm-hmm. is just that sort of like crazy coincidence thing that clued me into like, okay, reality's afoot on some level. Yeah, it's, t- it's too coincidental to kind of like- yeah. And then, the and then right after that, of course, then you get all, you know, surrounding that glimpses of the actual monsters. And then that guy's eyes are like doubled over yeah, two people. I like that. But I don't know as far as then actually it didn't being pay in, off on any, in any way, unfortunately, <laughs> but I did, I do like it. It's a cool design. I didn't think there was anything to pay off. What do you, it's, it's like these well, are just I, monsters. That's how they yeah, look. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, I don't know. I would, I thought that it would have some significance. We know that it's a story of like humans getting taken over and that's 
what they look like. Is that like. what it is? Yeah. Okay. It's like monsters taking yeah. over, turning humans into monsters, and monsters coming out. <laughs> right. Um, but then as soon as, like, I think we become aware of, oh, wait, the town that's in the books is actually a real town, that's when it takes on that sense of, oh, he's going, he's going into the book, maybe. So I my first inkling of that was when he bought all of the books mm -hmm. and then like saw the covers and started tearing the covers and doing this thing. I, I don't know why I suddenly was like, Oh shit. Like th he's in the book. He seems like a character in a book or you yeah. could say a character in the movie, which this movie turns out to be because this movie <laughs> right. is the movie. Oh shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so all of that broad, the kind of broad meta shit, yeah, like breaking down the whatever you would call that the the structure or the narrative reality. You mean what I just said as far as the movie I being love in the movie? That. I love all of that, like because it just keeps pushing we further should, along. We should, we should it. clarify what we mean by that is that at the end of the film, once he's escaped and the whole world's gone apocalyptic, he wanders into in the mouth of madness at a theater starring him. Yeah. That's the twist. And it's, it's set it's up not that starring already an actor playing him well, already within the world <laughs> of the movie. They go, Oh, you know, where there's already a movie being made. So it could just be like something separate. Right. Right. But then that is the twist that it's, he's watching the movie we've just watched. Would it have been even more twisty meta if it had been starring Sam Neill? Wait, they would have broken Oh, if it was starting Sam Neill. They would have broken the actual fourth wall. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever they did worked. I, I No, I like it contained within. Well, it is cool how they did stuff. I really thought it was interesting how they made us aware that like um, Stephen King exists in this world. Yeah. Like, that was sort of a, 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 I mean, a, this a is subtle way so to just... much a Stephen King-like right. construct. But it's a neat, subtle way to sort of bring us into oh we don't have that separation of this is entirely a fictional world this mm, is a world mm -hmm. where stephen king also exists yeah i like that i think it's a smart nod yeah. to just be like yeah, yeah yeah we know that we're doing that thing but like that's a thing <laughs> so it's as called i think there's a term for this it's called like hanging lantern yeah right like so we all know where we're at yeah <laughs> um and then we don't <laughs> Exactly, because it lays on the crazy, as I said. My, my my favorite, like, when you do feel more like you're just in a movie where maybe you have a chance of escape and that's plotting uh, typically and that it is going to be reality. And you have, like, one of my favorite ways that lays on the crazy within all that where we, like, don't think much of it at first. It feels like a typical movie thing is the painting at the, oh, the, yeah. the, the hotel, the bed and breakfast, whatever that yep. is. Oh, it's so cool, Tim. I know. Like, it's so, like, that's, I think, what won me over when I was first watching it. Not just like, it's cool. We see her seeing it change, like, actual, like, like in real time. Right. And then just the stuff where he sees it changing and, like, taps it and it's no wet paint. Um, and then eventually it full on changes yeah. to, like, the two people in the painting have become the, like, Lovecraftian monsters, yeah. so which that, I fucking love. Yes, that's that's specifically is what made me fall in love with this movie. Is like, yeah. I, that's such a cool way to do, like, this cosmic horror thing in a film is to, like, suggest something. Because, like, how do you do sort of what is 
beyond, you know, uh, any explanation or imagination, you know, and show it, it's hard Mm. to do. Mm -hmm. Like, so this was a really neat way of, in the spirit of those, which I think you'd, um, you know, is, is spirit of Lovecraftian cosmic horror. How you do that in a film is you show us something visually mm-hmm. in like a still image, you know, in this case right. that it's, and, and then to make us sort of close that gap of, Oh crap, they could be turning into these. Right. That's cool. right. I had forgotten that there was sort of a middle v- version of the painting where the woman's face is sort of half monstery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sinister. Yeah. Like it's got the like and there was a a woman in the town who we see a few times who has like half of her face is sort of enlarged. We see in people like eyeball. Defor- disformed throughout. Yeah, but I mean we see the same representation of that half oh, face yeah. thing in real life and in the painting, which I think is cool. Yeah, yeah. I like the ones when we see them amongst the homeless people and they're like right. chopping up people and eating their flesh. Right. Um, but that just got me thinking when I just, the painting, how that's like a unique way, not a unique, it's, it's a way to do Lovecraft horror mm-hmm. in a film, in a mm-hmm. Lovecraft film. So other things that do that too were like the bus ride home when um, oh, he yeah. says, the Sutter Kane says, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? And then the movie is blue. <laughs> like and everyone's so wearing blue um <laughs> and then sam neil has a flip out yeah Ugh. which is just so much fun <laughs> watching him do i love i love squirmy tentacles yeah like we're so like coming much. out of under the door yeah mm-hmm. obviously reminiscent of the thing yeah yeah it's like felt basically like they did the exact same design yeah for that <laughs> moment which is great because i love it Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Any of the other uh, effects or monster moments? Come I to really mind? like the. Well, I guess it's not technically a monster moment, but like the effect of the the young kid on the bicycle riding past, Creepy and then like kid. turning into yeah. older, and then old, like it it does get older as we go along. He looked turned into like a weird witch man. He turned into John Carpenter. <laughs> 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 a weird witch man. Yeah. Um, but I love that thing of like, oh, I saw a thing and then now that thing has changed. Like we're on a, like, I love loops. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you get that, like, I think what it does is the reason I like it is because we experience this type of shit in our own lives. Like our brains do this where like, like, um, that feeling like of deja, deja vu, vu like yeah. that whole thing of like wait what did i just see and then we we tend to put things on a loop for ourselves mm-hmm. and we're trying to like recognize same patterns and whatever and sometimes we can convince ourselves that we've seen a thing before when we definitely haven't it just is like it's a we're matching uh a things that are familiar yeah and patterns and whatever but like the so when you when you do that in a film it it's it's cool to me that you can recreate a feeling that you cannot recreate in yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't re-have deja vu. You can't actively <laughs> make that happen again. It's just this feeling that happens and then it's gone. It's like you had no control over it. So when a movie is able to do it, um, it's it's the closest thing you can get to recreating it, and it's an eerie as fuck feeling. Even when and it's happening that. so just immediately, when once it gets to the point where yeah, it is less kind of happening at a um, 
lulling us in pace of repetition, but mm-hmm. the, the specific, um, the technique where he thinks he's escaping Hobbs end like three or four times. Yeah. And every time he looks down at the road yeah. as headlights, we're just right back in there. And it's like, how many times does that hap- ha- have to happen to him before he like changes? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He goes a different the- direction. <laughs> right. Well, he does ultimately, right? Like right. he goes, fuck it. I'm just going to go through them. But it's just, again, maybe that's just the overall thing that I, or not an overall thing, but, something throughout where like i just love stories specifically where it's this kind of character being put in this situation yeah the most yeah. like what would i already say like what he goes like this knocks the table is reality and right. has these these rants about that and like even to himself when we just said when he's driving out on the highway he's like he refuses to think, oh, yeah, I just I just ended up back in the town. That's all mm-hmm. that happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I just took a wrong turn and I'm here again. To me, the, the thing that is so pleasing about all of that and any movie that can kind of execute this type of stuff well is that it is the closest thing we also have to feel the feeling we have in our own dreams mm-hmm. where like everything's kind of move movable like you know like you, in a dream i don't know what's a dream i had recently who knows but you know you can be in one room and then it's just another room at yeah. the, you know in the next moment and that that feeling of essentially you're never on stable ground if you can get that coming across in a movie and retain some sense of like it making sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) as much as it can. Well, like you, you still have something to hold on to. You have a character's emotional state. Right. Right. Like we have him to hold on to. Which is exactly what you experience in dreams, right? Like you kind of only have your own perspective or state. You're you. To hold on to and everything around you can just morph and change. And like, there are no rules and like a lot of it is just emotional based, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, whatever being chased or something yeah. in a dream, like can mean like the it, it's less about the act of the chase and more about the feeling that it gives you to be chased, mm-hmm. right? Because shit changes throughout. It's like you know you're you're on a building and then you're in water and then you're fucking whatever. It doesn't matter, but you still are having the the feeling. Yeah. Of the 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 thing that's happening in the dream. And that I think you're right. Having this central character that we're anchored to but is totally untethered in the wor- to any world is really fun and fucking, you know, that's why it's scary right. and represents that side of us that wants certainty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to see him get everything that's not certain. Right. I don't know. And I think it's satisfying to me, like, and I love just in stories like this in general is like, I'm someone who at least likes to think I'm like very open-minded. I do like do well in emergency situations or when inexplicable things happen. Mm. And the first is to kind of like smile at it. I, guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Right. Right. I don't know what my reality is anymore. Then, okay, well then that's, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just really satisfying and fun to me to see like people who are on that other end of the spectrum, which, you know, I still have, of course, but like just being confronted with that just because I always do want to shake people who, you know, are the exact people who are like, this is reality and this is not. And this is exactly the way the world is. Yeah. It's that what we always come back to in the show about 
being a true skeptic. Certitude. Yeah, certitude. Uh, a lot of people who call themselves skeptics are actual certitudeists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which was a word we've been looking for to make up. I think that's helpful. <laughs> we have that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, speci- well, I, was, I don't know. Where, where do we go from here? More specifics to throw <laughs> out? I mean, get them, check well, them off. Well, one, one question I guess I okay. have. It's not... It works for me, so I'm not. It's I'm. It's not a criticism. It's sort of just a like a a a world question. So we're effectively, let's say, we're reading the book essentially by watching this. I mean, really, what we're doing is watching the movie that is the literal pages of the book. Okay. Right. Like that's the conceit. So I guess it makes sense that at times we leave. Uh, what is Sam Neill's character's name? I forget. John oh, Trench. Yeah. <laughs> God. So we leave John a couple times and we're just with the other woman. Linda Styles, who we, yeah, call, Styles. They, we call each other last names, Trent and Styles. That's right. That's right. So like, remember the scene where Styles has gone back to the church and she's seen the little kids, but, but, Trent is not seeing the little kids. Yeah. Um, which I think is sort of, I mean, what it's doing is it's adding this element of just complete, like, uncertainty. Like, where we're like, well, what is real and who's seen what? And I just think it's a really oh, interesting because device. Saying, we, we leave whose eyes, like, we leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whose eyes we're seeing things through. And it's okay because of the sort of broad conceit. Well, it puts us more into the tricking us into, oh, this world right. is an actual world. Right, that- so that that's sort of my point. And I think what works so well is that it adds to that confusion and that sort of like, we don't really know what the fuck's what. But even she is having an experience, mm-hmm. even though she's a part of the story. She turns out in a certain uh reading of the movie that isn't real at all because Charlton Heston the right. boss the publisher holy who shit sent him with her that i love so much where it's like wait where do you talk like we think we maybe have some semblance of yeah. reality once he escapes yeah, the town yeah. <laughs> like maybe he's like leaving its evil but then as soon as he gets back to the publisher Charlton Heston He's like, wait, I never sent you with any woman. I don't have a, what was her, what was her role? The, uh, she was like an editor editor. or something, right? I love, so speaking more to her, I love when we meet her, how fucking weird she's being like, (laughs) like she's just floating around behind him. She like comes in quietly without saying anything yeah. and just stands Not right of, behind him. Like and you like, really don't think she's going to be a main character. No, <laughs> I know. And then she's like doing this weird thing with her glasses where she keeps like kind of trying to close the folds of her glasses, but like with her mouth, but like, or the side of her face, but she like doesn't do it. I got whatever it she was doing. All it, of those mannerisms and weirdness. Initially, I was like, Ugh, annoying actor things. But then I'm like now in hindsight, you go, oh, no, they were very specifically trying to be weird. 
I mean, and like her standing next to him, like super close when he lights a yeah. cigarette and then coughing. It's like, don't stand next to the guy who's lighting a cigarette. Right. then if you don't like cigarettes, no, I, but it's all to this point of like just the weirdness. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I had a little different. All right. Worked for me, but just as making it more like she was an interesting person who just was kind of quirky. Like, yeah, I just liked, I don't know. I thought it was working for me as building a character. Like, yeah, I would stand right next to the person lighting a cigarette. Make a point. You shouldn't just be lighting up in your face without saying anything. Well, we like, think that why now. She, why should she move? <laughs> you know, she's ahead of her time then. Yeah. Um, but I like that what I was sort of saying before is her, we get her alone a couple of times and she like interacts with the kids and that scene, <laughs> fucking weird kids, man. Weird kids are Kids are weird. Yeah. In and of themselves. That was a, um, I, I read uh, John Carpenter's, like, or it was like the top 15 things from the commentary of this movie. And he's just said something about kids being, kids love to play evil. Yeah. Like kids will have fun playing monsters. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So like her standing outside of the church and the kids like throw the ball at her and like have this weird interaction where she's like, where's your mom? And they're like, you're our mom. Yeah. It's just like, what the fuck well, is going on? Well, how about that? Just quotes throughout this movie that just sort of like are, you know, from the people who have already been indoctrinated into the evil of the book. Sure. Where it's just like, that doesn't make any sense. But it sounds like it makes sense to them. So it just sounds like right. they are speaking from a place of that unknown cosmic horror where yeah. the rules of uh, reality are different. Well, like, so... This points at a bigger thematic thing that I really like, and it is the idea of susceptibility and like how we as people, the, um, uh, what do you call this? It's, it's like the group think sort of mentality where yes, suddenly yes, yes. you get on, like, because everybody's, it's trending to be into you know, Game of Thrones, like everybody gets in on it and then everybody's like talking about that thing well, to and this like getting extent, though, that, that wrapped up in it. That world is real, like to people. Like you can talk about Game of Thrones, like while well, we were just talking about yeah, Star, Star Wars. Wars. Exactly. Like, so like I love the open endedness of like how far can that go and if can it go too far right so i i agree entirely and I think the answer is yeah and i think yeah that's because, why cults exist right right like but it's it's so smart to the way you do that in a movie is have that to explore that theme by having it be about a fiction writer mm -hmm. because then that is that's doing exactly it's a story about people getting sucked into a fiction or the fiction spilling out into their world and where does one start and where does one end well, and i think that sorry that is that, yeah. that horror that i think you're getting at that lies in there where you say it can take it too far is it's when we almost value those fictional realities like more than our real ones and that's where you know it feels more like mm, escape mm -hmm. than enrichment like we're saying, I just wish I could live in Star Wars, you know, and I like only would read, you know. Yeah. This. I would frame it, and I think that this is a theme that is in a lot of his films, is more of the idea. I mean, this is sort of the dark or shadow side of what we're talking about. It's more of an infection. Mm -hmm. 
and like how we get infected by things. Right. Because it's how it spreads essentially in this film. Which is super terrifying, right? In any context, infection is terrifying. Well, yeah, to have it on that level too is so eerie of like you read the books, you know, you might go crazy. It's like, well, what are you talking about? It's just a book. Like, right. I didn't read it. I, didn't, I know it's like how he says in the movie, I know this is a book. It's not reality. It's not scary, therefore. And, and that's the same idea as like, you know, what do you mean I have to wash my hands? My hands are clean. It's like, yeah, but there's stuff you can't see, dude. <laughs> right? Like you don't know what is on them. Yeah. But like you have a certitude about well, your hands being clean because you can't see it. And it is like... It is actually real to an extent, though. Like, I, you know, I am people say, you know, who don't like horror movies, how do you watch them all? Like, aren't you scared? Da, 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 da. And, um, hmm. and yeah, I'm, and I do always, you know, this is where I'm like Sam Neill's character, where I'm like, no, I know they're just movies kind of thing. But yet you look <laughs> at the power of whatever it is a horror book, a horror movie, and like you think you're, you know, let's say you're given a nightmare from them or like, after everyone seeing hereditary mm-hmm. and like saying, mm-hmm. I did you say you had weird nightmares? Oh, like, definitely. so that right there, Tim, that that's proof that like, no, you don't have a separation. It, it worked its way into your conscious and subconscious and like yeah. affected a real, like dreams are a reality you experience. Yeah. Like they no directly question. influenced that. Yeah. That's incredible. Like you weren't able, you know, just to say this is a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you can also kind of attribute this to like that feeling, that idea of infection or it's, it, it's, it's such a primally rooted fear. Mm-hmm. Because it's the same reason why, like, vampires are scary, right? Like, that's a version of being infected. Like, it's why it's why super religious people are freaked out by the devil, right? Because you think they feel like, oh, I'm going to be infected by this force, this malevolent force, right? That whole construct of a foreign body getting inside you and manipulating your ability to exist – at least well, the way you want it to. It's horrifying because like... It's super scary. It's it's scary partly because like we were just talking about how we have the characters always uh, in films like this and in our, in our emotionality and our dreams. Like we were talking about the emotional, the emotions mm. at any given time is your tracking point. So the idea of like getting diseased and infected, mm-hmm. it's like that, that first person perspective is usually our safe point that we mm-hmm. already have. So the thought of that, even that like first person perspective of like our individuality, our emotional state is somehow fluid or rocky too. Mm-hmm. There's um, there, there's where the horror lies. I think, you know what? It sort of makes me realize too. We evolved as a species with this um, implicit fear because it's a it's a way to protect yourself, right? Being right. afraid of these things is there's keeps always us alive. Always something in the darkness that wants to kill us, right? And so, any that's why I think we you can always boil the best horror down to these very very primal things. Of like, you know, well, essentially life and death, right? Like ways to stay alive Mm -hmm. and putting 
the characters into a position to face those threats Mm -hmm. is the fundamental, like most important thing of good horror. And what's so cool, I think about getting, you know, uh, getting where we get in certain movies um, away from the literal version of that and into something like this, where it is so just sort of broadly thematic it's still the core thing, mm-hmm. right? It still is is facing this this you know uh, mortality based on you know infection or whatever you want to frame it as, but like the story that's created to to service that theme is so fucking nuts yeah. and amazing that that's what we can do. We can weave in just crazy shit, and the imagery all is sort of built around these really primal things it's like why are tentacles scary it's because they're a they're a part of that same construct yeah right like tentacles are foreign they're not what is normal to us so they're an implicit threat or as about, well like one of my favorite visuals in it was um it's a non-visual but when the 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 realm the door to the realm opens up and it's just blackness. Like what else would it be? Yes. Like that's what's so terrifying. And right. he looks through it and, you know, sees whatever he sees. Like that's another way to do mm-hmm. good cosmic horror in a film is just something is existing in this chasm of, of, oh, man. of blackness. It's like why in fucking under the skin. Her... I haven't seen it. Oh, don't tell me. Dude. You read the book too. Okay. I think I recommended the book at one point. Um, also, like man, what? You, what you're talking about though is so good. Cool. I just in 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 anything. Yeah, yeah. The the feeling of like uh, the chasm or the va- like the black nothingness and like it, like stepping into that in some way well, is also, always so fucking cool. What worked? What made that work so well too? in this film specifically was that the door before it opens, the wooden door is slimy and pulsating. Mm. It's like how perfectly Lovecraftian is that to have it? It's like yeah. something, first of all, something that's supposed to be solid isn't. Yeah. Yep. And that's just like, you know, this <laughs> yep. film in a nutshell right. kind of thing. And then also, but just this visually aesthetically that it's slimy and mm-hmm. like old wood and well, the way it's pulsating. Black ooze is always just a, like, we know that we shouldn't, touch it yeah you know that's why get the guy from the stuff to just eat it out of the ground (laughs) i was just gonna say that's why you're a little more forgiving that he eats the white ooze (laughs) because it's not black (laughs) yeah so all of these things just i think that's i mean it is also a big part of carpenter's aesthetic always yeah he's really good at leaning in on those designs yeah um i like um you mean you mean like physical designs? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The vi- the visuals and the physical like uh, tactile nature oh, yeah. of, I mean, of the design in in almost all of his movies are so fucking pleasing. Like the me. monsters that we do see in this are straight out of the thing, which makes Fuck, sense because yeah. that's cosmic horror too. Yep. Um, literally <laughs> i love that yeah. when he's getting chased down the hallway and it's just that wood shot where it's like we get just the perfect darkness like glimpse of all the monsters mm. chasing him mm. Ugh, it's so good yeah i love that that hallway is great you know is it me or is is every fucking horror design from like 1976 <laughs> until 1996 
just H.R. Giger. <laughs> like, it's, was he the a... only fucking person around? <laughs> Fucking he's, hell. He certainly made an indelible <laughs> mark. No doubt. I mean, I, I, you know what would be cool is to, uh, there's a, I watched a documentary on him at some point. Oh, maybe it wasn't on him. No, I think it was. There is one on him. I've seen it. Um, But like, what? I'd love to see the stuff before him that was his influence. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what that, I bet we could track it down. But yeah, Side like note. I love all that shit. <laughs> um, Regardless, like I don't care that it's, it's, it feels like his stuff. Like yeah. it's always so fucking good. The, uh, the trajectory of the old woman at the runs of the hotel. <laughs> yes. Who's yeah. What's that woman who's old? She's like happy Gilmore's grandma. Who's yeah. Like the old I'm woman sorry, and everything. I can't remember her name. Um, but just that's she's so great. fun because he, she's a good example too of just his like, um, uh, a, 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 a baseline point for like his sanity where he says he's just she's just a sweet old woman she wouldn't right. hurt if I, and then she ends up being like first the in-between is that she has her naked husband handcuffed to her <laughs> to her ankle to her ankle <laughs> and then she's like kicking him like to be quiet or whatever oh man but then that she's an actual like squirmy thing monster like yes <laughs> fuck yes by exactly. the way i said like when we when when john trent sees that he kind of he kind of unnaturally slowly like backs away from it i was like there if i saw that shit you couldn't get me to move fast (laughs) enough to get the fuck out of there we gotta write tim into one of these movies (laughs) yeah see his character uh there'd be a lot of yelling (laughs) (laughs) of course flip out central one um when you're touching on its thematic core ideas just one angle of all that we didn't didn't mention yet um we're talking about like and you're talking about game of thrones star wars as like it's a it's a reality that's created that's like almost bigger than us or exists in all Mm -hmm. our imagination so it becomes real then but the idea and that's fun how it explores in this film of like that that art or that imaginary world is bigger than the artist who made it of course you know and sure. how that that is also something outside of the artist because mm-hmm. the Sutter Kane in this who's great that guy who plays him who's like in dust boot and stuff yep Dune um, he's he's king of trades okay yeah he's uh, yeah perfect casting I love his first reveal where the door yeah. opens and his hair is just <laughs> like oh this he looks exactly like a horror author yeah um but. But how he is sucked into his, uh, he's sucked into the the world of the book, the the evil, like, you know, at some point along the way in his own way, where it starts, where it ended, we don't know. But um, I don't know where, where I'm going with it. But just that was interestingly explored for me as far as like the author's role in all this sort of right. being almost inconsequential. He, he's yeah, like he's a character. A red, yeah, he's a red herring yeah, almost. He's it's like, like a character. Yeah, he's a character in the story that he is writing what you know (laughs) well and i think that kind of lends a little bit of credence to the idea that this whole thing is just a construct in sam neill's head Mm -hmm. like that like i think you could watch this and say that none of this story is real except for sam neill being a crazy guy a guy who's I feel like though that whole i see where you're going with that but i feel like that whole argument is just kind of not 
it's not almost it's not it, even it's, it's, it's invalidated because it is it is a movie you know like yeah it, yeah you're right there 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 would need to be an added like something to, see, to 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 like solidify that and that's the big horror for like me. we'd have to see him at the right. end just being a dude on you know tranquilized right up that's in that's part of the horror is something. i think like even in films like this we want to be able to say oh it was all just in his head you right. know as to take that comfort again but like it doesn't that's actually one of the that. things i i both like and don't like <laughs> <laughs> so it would fall into both categories for me, but I do like it. So I will I mean, say that. What is more horrifying? Really? Right. Like, you can't go. Oh, this, you, it, 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 it doesn't allow for that sort of separation from the film that we like mm-hmm. to have so much <laughs> of being able to say, Oh, I, I figured it out, you know? Right. I just had thought of another example of a movie that does that. And now I've lost it. Shit, I'll think of part it. Part of just like, yeah, just, just just talk about how, oh, this film, we already kind of said like the structure is it set, it's set up like it's just a mystery you kind of want to mm. solve. Oh, with him. that was another thing I want to mention that I really like. Go on. Oh. The mystery. <laughs> well, and, and then how that just, it, but then how it turns into what is for me just like a true horror film of just something so with, with no chance of escape from this mm-hmm. world where there's no happy ending, like, and you know it, and it's just sort of feels scary to watch it you know play out accordingly but it like that really kicked in when um when uh the styles the the woman when she walks into the church for the first time and she's just like there's no it, it feels like you know that's normally where I want in the movie where it's like, oh, you know, she's going to be saved somehow or, mm. you know, she's going to save herself. Sam Neill's going to save her. Something's going to happen. We're going to we got it. It feels like the thing in the movie, the part where you go, oh, here's where one of the characters gets in trouble. And now the rest of the movie is about saving them. But here it's just about here's the first one who's gone. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just sort of that unsettling, like what goes against your instincts of what feels safe for you in a movie. And yeah. you're just along for this ride and have to just accept it. It just, ugh, it gets to me, but that that's sort of where it kicked in for me was her, her getting um, entrapped. Oh yeah, definitely. I really like when it's <laughs> such a little thing, but <laughs> when they're in the room, the like hotel room, whatever. And Sam Neill's having his whole thing about like this is real and he's like tapping the desk and he's like we're not we're not in a fucking book we're not in the pages of the book that's stupid also you know he opens the book and he's like see right here it says that out of outside this window there should be a, a church with like the gold onions on top of it and whatever and she goes and he opens the window and there's nothing there and she goes you didn't read close enough yeah (laughs) and opens the other window and she's like it was facing west and there's the church and it's like whoa and i said take that sam neil yep (laughs) because that's that's exactly that catharsis of like see sam neil like i love shit like that Mm -hmm. um the other thing i really love these are tiny little nuanced things but man a clue and like the the cutting out the pieces of the fucking covers of the book yeah and and it being a map oh i love shit like that like anytime you get that because i love i love a mystery and i love a treasure hunt like those are the fucking best that and that scratches the edge for me of what i want from a lovecraftian story too it's just like putting together 
the <laughs> I mean, it threw me off because it's he's literally putting things together, but <laughs> <laughs> putting together the. But you want that. You want it to be like a physical thing. Yes. Oh, like what's what's the secret of this like book? You know, the the secret pages or a way to turn it upside down yeah. and it does this. Whatever. Like Goonies. Yeah. Like it's great. Yeah. So fun. People put people put intention into it. Um. So yeah, I mean the specific moments. I want to mention again just how great that was when the man approaches with the axe. Yeah. Like it's, there's no, it's nothing quite like it in another movie where it's just like, you have the quiet scene of them talking and then this kind of like, <laughs> yeah, the, the emotion it strikes where it's like tickles you, but it is horrifying too, of just his slow approach. And everyone's outside like, love- whoa, get out of the way. This yeah. fucking dude marching with an ax. <laughs> yeah. The and people then, right in front of the window falling over right. themselves to get out of there. Is Something great. just is so good at that. Then it, we we just think, oh, this is a, some random dude, but he turns out to be the agent, Sutter Kane's right. agent. That's right. Yeah. That just was the extra layer mm-hmm. of like, oh, you know, and it sort of get, gets to our own prejudices of being like, oh, I just, I was able to um, justify this or explain this by it just being a random, crazy, probably homeless person, mm-hmm. crazy person. Right. So then to all of a sudden have that, no, this was Sutter Kane's agent. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was good. Yeah. Um I love all, Oh, you have more. I oh, love that going. the uh mm. the the stakes were the end of the world, the apocalypse. Yeah. Like kind of like uh this is actually the third in what they unofficially call as apocalypse films. Right. First being the thing, then Prince of Darkness, then this. Yep. Um but worked especially well for me in this cuz it's uh again that like feeling of just hopelessness where it, Part of that comes from too is you can think even if you're like in a lot of Lovecraftian stories like the one going insane, that on some level there still exists this like even if they're oblivious, there's just at least a um, outside world of let's say oblivious people with their reality mm. that is still safe. But to bring it up to the level where like there's nowhere to run, you can't hide. <laughs> right. So he walks into a movie theater. Um, it's right, great. Right. Um, but just this that's an extra level that I think really. Um, works for this story versus it just being like you know there's still the the insane asylum is just still being run or whatever whatever just to give that again that sense of no escape there's always in in this construct there's always um an aspect i think or an overtone of you know resistance versus acceptance and like in this example it's you know, he, his character is constantly being like, no, I know how it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I know it's a scam. I know it's a, you know, it's Certitude all set up. It's all that shit. And only after he's like really gone through the shit and like completely quote unquote lost his mind, do the doors open back up for him. Yeah. And then he can just go fucking wander around and like, <laughs> Have a laugh at a movie. Yeah. Somehow be one of the last survivors in this right. world. And I think that there's just something nice. Maybe it's just that that message is is always a nice sort of cathartic thing to be like, you know, or it's almost like a cautionary sort of tale construct. Yeah. It's like, look, don't be so fucking sure about everything. And like, you know, once you let go of these, whatever, these resistant sort of ways of looking at the world and just kind of lean more into acceptance yeah he did that did give him a bit of an arc you're right right 
that like you're you're better off, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a nice sort of undertone message. Which is what I'm saying to people, Tim. The, <laughs> okay. The world's squiggly. It is, isn't it? This <laughs> is not real. That's right. You know what's really not real is this this blew my mind when I was taught this. Nothing ever touches anything. See? Right? Yeah. We have a perception of that, but in actuality, there's always space between every atom. We're all just little wavy so, lines yeah. of energy. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> um, I loved the uh, when Sutter Kane is disappears, is defeated, whatever. When he, do you remember he like he stands against the door right. and like tears the door like. <laughs> with himself oh dude and it like turns into a giant page of his book right which is the book of the movie we're watching just all (laughs) that stuff so cool oh man you know what it reminded me of yeah is ghost Ghost stories stories. fuck yeah (laughs) exactly breaking reality like that in a in a physical way like a tactile physical way for the characters in the movie is always so fucking pleasing to me don't see it very much too no i fucking love that shit um, that's, you know, for me, that's pretty much it. Right. I think it's all I have. I just wish I, I just love this movie. I want to say more, but I think that's kind of it for now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Really? That's it for you? You seem like, yeah, you... I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to replay everything. I, I think that's kind of, that's it for me too. We've covered, we've covered everything I like all that, that I can remember. I like all the actors in it. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, well, Vigo from Ghostbusters too. Oh my God, we need to talk about that in Things of Note. Okay. Um, I should have done a deeper dive on it, but whatever. <laughs> the Doberman Pinchers as um, oh, yeah. as uh, Sutter Kane's okay. like demon dogs. Yeah. Um, just the monster design throughout is cool. I love how it is like subtle, like where when he's in the bookshop, like there's someone with just a few scratches on his face and maybe like a kind of weird zit thing or something where you just mm. know something's what what did this person just go through but just that as sort of like a first step in whatever escalation to them of them turning into like monster people out is interesting i'm like body deformity yeah like seeing the early stages of the people being monsterized was disturbing yeah it's like they're still the person on some level i don't know metamorphosis is always fucking cool and fun and creepy and yeah I love it. And it's, it's horrifying as far as that, you know, even with the, with, you know, your example of the, uh, being afraid of demons and being possessed or whatever that there's, I mean, yeah, horrifying of course, but at least it's like you're either possessed or you aren't, you hmm. know, here there's that scary in between of like a person be sort of like the stuff when we watched, like at what person, at what point does the person stop being them? Like, you know, are they, cause in, in this, we sort of see, Oh, here they're just maybe 5% evil taken over when they're just those initial scratches. And then they become full fledged monsters. Are there still any semblance of them left? Is there a way to save them? It's just like, there's no, that line is complete. There, there, there is no line. Yeah. And that's an extra layer of scary as far as that level of disease. That's why it's more like disease of getting slowly infected versus the, um, yeah, you either are possessed or you're not. Mm, Man, yikes. And yikes indeed. Next section. Sure. All right. What did not work? 
is not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I'm like torn about this, but it's kind of what I said before. It's like not having the like almost the um what would you call that? Like the bookends of where this all lives. In other words, here's an example of a movie that's very similar in that sort of construct. Um, Do you know Jacob's Ladder? I haven't seen it in like, since like middle school, I forget it. The opening scene and the end scene essentially say, okay. I don't want to know. I I know, but I'm just saying like, it sort of gives context to the, to the craziness. Well, we have. And this doesn't have that in as concrete of a way and there was a part of me that's like oh i want i want it like i wanted there to be the sort of zoom out from this and go oh shit that's what makes it work so well for me but i agree yeah because like like, i think that it's easy to latch on to ways that this type of story have been done differently and assume that that's better because again that's a safety net like here we're given what we are hoping is the framework of just this is just a story of a guy in a mental asylum telling his story maybe it's true maybe it's not but once we catch up to what would be the bookend of him back in the asylum at the end it's like no that's he's right it's all the 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 evil has taken over Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah it, it it's I don't know I think it's cool how it takes what you just said as far as like a book and model but then throws it out yeah yeah so that's yeah I mean I I I will agree like I mean yeah I guess I I disagree with that one but what I I thought I feel like it's just growing on me maybe this will be less an issue as it goes on but there's just something about like the ebb and flow of the plotting where it doesn't feel like we sort of have like, I don't know. I almost want more like it's hard because it is this kind of great moment after great moment at a certain point and just kind of keeps ramping up. But something about it feels like it doesn't breathe much or there's no sort of like like signature events. I mean, they are there. I don't know how to explain it, but just something about the ebb and flow. It doesn't feel sloggy. It just feels kind of like. I'm not as much being taken for a ride, you know, mm-hmm. but then that is also what I works for me about is you're just sort of slowly getting trapped and it's you know so it's like this is a worked and didn't work for me was that the plotting like made me feel horrified and uncomfortable but at the same time it it like maybe felt a little short on just the, the kind of like movie like in a more typical sense delivery of the plotting and the action i don't know i just had a thought i think i think part of what i'm wanting is a little more like context as to what the book that this takes place in is getting at. Like what's the story in the book? Yeah. Because if you had a little more context of what and, – and like you were even told like, oh, the end of the book is this or something like that. Not necessarily the end, but like the conceit of the book or whatever. If that was a little more handed out – then when he's experiencing these things, if we've been clued into them a little bit, like if somebody had said like this new book is about 
you know, humans being infected and, and turning into monsters. Maybe not so just literally saying that, but suggesting or giving us some sort of clue as to that, that when it starts happening, you you start to go, ooh, ooh he's fucked. Now, I understand why you do it the way that it's done here is because we really just stay on board with his point of view. Yeah. We're not really getting another angle in to to then worry for him. Yeah. And that's fine. But I like it when we get that in, in certain stories where we get to, you know, sort of say, don't fucking go around that corner yeah. because we know and he doesn't know. And the fun is watching him not know. I Yeah, I think I, I agree. With, and that's that is kind of what I was trying to get at yeah. was that there's used like one more thing to think you're being able to hang your hat on. Right. And if you have that, <laughs> then you can fuck with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just just something that sort of gave us a sense of trajectory a little more right. to then pull more out from under us. Yeah. I think that's where it is. Really? Okay. So, well, <laughs> yes. An example, I think <laughs> this is a very different movie, but an ex- a similar framework of like the journey to go find the missing person. Yeah is apocalypse now and so like when we get to kurtz or whatever the fuck his name is kurtz when we get to him he's a not what we were expecting (laughs) at all and b we get to have some like actual holy fuck what is this new world we're in and like where is this dude Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like we get that with the meeting of um sutter in this like, it feels like it's still sort of just not a throwaway, but it's like it doesn't feel grounded in in any sort of not revelation, but any sort of like, oh, shit. I don't know. It worked for me, like as far as Sutter's reveal, where it was like he is an example of something that's already like far gone. Like, we don't have him as an anchor point. Like, he's not, he's questionably a person at this point, you know? True. Yeah. I think there's something for me in in Sutter Kane that doesn't land enough. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I don't know how else to put it because mm-hmm. I don't know what would make it feel like it landed more. Um, It might just be that he's in a weird room. <laughs> yeah. And I time. don't like that. Like, like I almost want him to be in a more real space Mm -hmm. in that moment so that we feel like, okay, shit, even though a bunch of weird shit's been going on, now we're back in like what seems to be a real tactile like room. Mm -hmm. And if that room then starts to fucking go wonky. If the church That's even more fucked up. If the church had felt a little more safe initially somehow versus like a warning sign immediately. Right. At the same time I like that. I liked this sort of like once you walk in you're damned, you yeah. know. Well, it's weird because they do it for like a second. Yeah. Where he opens the door and it's just a room. And oh man, is that right? The first time he opens the door, it's just a room and nobody's in. It's like a little office, like a pastor's sort of office. And then he 
they close the know. door and then he opens it again and it's like Sutter Kane behind a desk in this fucking <laughs> weird I, I like the melty wall has, thing. He keeps a close it makes sense that he has a close proximity to this gateway or whatever. You know. Right. Right. Like he's been corrupted and this is the space yeah. of which it happens. I guess I'm just sort of I'm wish I mean like it would be more pleasing to me to watch a real space devolve into that slowly in that sequence. That's kind of what the town is as a whole, using the hotel as an anchor. But that's what I mean is I think use that construct in a microcosm in this room. Yeah, yeah. That would have made me go, whoa, fuck, Right, yes. like instead of the door just pulsating from the get-go, it's you know, looks innocuous at first because it really is an ins we're getting really inside the sort of final breakdown. And maybe that this is where I meant where I, Sam Neill's yeah, brain. I agree as far as it did feel like it sort of hit the fast forward button in that air. In that. <laughs> like in shocker. <laughs> no, not quite like in shocker. No, just plotting yeah, wise. Maybe yeah. that's what I was getting at where mm -hmm. I could have used like an extra 10 minutes in this movie. Maybe, you know, five minutes. Like, don't you want, in that moment where it's like some sh fucking crazy ass shit has gone down, don't you kind of want this moment? I think it is what you're saying. You want this kind of moment like respite from all of that where it's like suddenly you can take a breath because it feels like you're safe again. Or at least not so much safe, but we've reached a neck, another like another revelation or another yeah. sort of uh, advancement in our searching. In right. Our I would have loved to have that moment be really like close in, in a real room. And Sam Neill kind of finally goes like, what the fuck is going on? And Sutter Kane is like totally chill. And he's like, I get it, man. Yeah, like, I get it. And I know it's been fucking weird. And like, just let's all just take a fucking minute. And as he starts to talk about it in some sort of rational, cosmic, rational way, nonsense, he starts to fucking melt or the room, room starts to yeah. melt or shit just starts to get weird. And you see Sam Neill go, oh, fuck. Just that one little last beat of yeah. uh, false safety. Yes. Yeah. I, that would have fucking sealed well, it. OK, here's. I think this all connects to my main what did not work for me, which is no fault of the movie itself. I think they could have done more stuff like that and probably wanted to if they had a bigger budget. Sure. So my, my that's my only what didn't work is that it oh, was I didn't even look. What it is was cut budget? from a fifteen million dollar budget to either a ten or eight million dollar budget. That's tough, right? Especially then, right? <laughs> So I'm just thinking of the... That's really hard. Imagine that extra... It's, it's like essentially the budget was cut in half. So imagine Ugh. it with that much more breathing room uh, budget-wise. I just feel like it would have had that much more breathing room than Definitely. the movie. And that's what was what didn't work, which, again, I say is no fault of the movie as wow. far as being on the scale. Like I like to think you use ingenuity just to just work with whatever budget you have. But this story... I don't know. It seemed like mm -hmm. would have been better at that 15 million level. For context, in 1990, so four years earlier, Home Alone was made for 14 million seven. Mm -hmm. And they originally were given 10 million 
And when they went over, uh, I think it was whoever had them initially. They ended up at Fox. Maybe it was Paramount or somebody. I don't remember. But uh, the original studio that had them for $10 million, when they went over that budget, pulled the plug. Yep. And Fox knew that that was probably going to happen and knew what they were at but liked the movie enough that they swooped in and they scooped it up and did it for f- basically 15. So that's five years earlier doing Home Alone. Like Home Alone is not, you know, mm-hmm. not that fucking extensive budgetary needs, right? And they couldn't even make that movie for 10. Yeah. And so to try and make this five years later. When you have full on like monster effects. And yeah. Everything. For fucking less. Yeah. Woof. That was the thing too. And it, again, just the budget. Like I could tell the effects in this didn't seem as good as the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they felt limited. So I, I, I hate that it's that way to like yeah. knock it for that, but um that's that's just how the, the dice had fallen for this one. Yeah. Bummer. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't have a whole lot either. I don't love the female lead. I like her a lot. I don't know what it is, but she's endearing in her kind of like weirdness. But I not. like the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just not thrilled about the con. There's, I think she feels stiff to me. I think that's really all it comes down to. The actor just feels kind of stiff. Mm. I don't know. I yeah, liked her. Whatever. Um, we don't have I to don't fish really, for things. Tim. I don't really have anything extensive other than that. Great question mark of... I I feel like we were able to navigate that in the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's go to our Um, next section. Yeah, we should. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. Did you want to tell us about Vigo? I mean, I don't... I, I might be misremembering a little bit, but I felt like I remember hearing a story about what a fucking like kind of maniac he was. But I'm very quickly just going through the Wikipedia. And it, 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 I'm We're talking about the it. guy who played Vigo in Ghostbusters yeah. 2 is in this movie as a and, actually yeah. a, kind of a sympathetic character. Yeah. His. So his. What's yeah. his name? Uh, Wilhelm von Homburg. And, you know, he's a German boxer. I think that's what I'm remembering. He had a real fucking reputation for being a, just a fucking brute. Yeah, yeah. Shocking, right? <laughs> like, look at his face. Um, but I felt like I was remembering that he had, like, killed somebody or some crazy shit. But maybe that's somebody else. But so here's the thing. And I think that you can take a deeper dive into this. But here's the sentence that I think is significant and what I'm remembering. So von Homburg and his father eventually had a falling out when Richard, I assume his father Richard, accused von Homburg of raping his stepmother. And I'm pretty sure that's what I'm remembering, that he has that there is like a pretty intense case of like him being accused and like not knowing, like it's a mess, but that he's got a very interesting deeper dive kind of backstory. Um and I don't know if that was a true accusation or that he and his father just had a really fucked up um, relationship or what. But go look it up. Because you couldn't Because I us. couldn't fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
<laughs> I feel like I heard about this on like my favorite murder or something and they went deep into it. All right. I got a couple from, um, I mentioned I listened to the commentary mm-hmm. or no, I read about the commentary track. Oh, oh, Sorry. Okay. Fair. <laughs> I want the Blu-ray so I can listen to it. Mm. Apparently the commentary, he's a, it's a way more of a technical commentary if you're interested in that. Mm. Cause it's him and the DP. Cool. But I told so, you, yeah, they had to shrink the budget down like Ugh. 7 million or whatever. But apparently one of the big cuts was a third act sequence that saw the entire town being swallowed up into the book. Writer Michael DeLuca insist, instead came up with the idea of the book paper illusion that sees Sutter Kane mm. rip himself like a page in the book. Cool. So interesting to see how that came about. And then <laughs> I liked this factoid. Carpenter's favorite line in the film is... <laughs> Reality's not what it used to be. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I like this factoid that Hayden Christensen, per our conversation earlier about Star Wars, was a paper boy. In this movie? Yep. <laughs> I better be in this movie, otherwise. No, no, it is. I'm <laughs> no, looking at it. I'm joshing you. <laughs> Just <laughs> with your aside. Hayden and me. That's all I had. Yeah, I don't have anything. I mean, I I also put, you know, what we mentioned earlier, how I just thought it was interesting how they made the choice of mentioning Stephen King by name. For sure. That was cool. For sure. God, I would love to make like a a Lovecraft, like old New England turn of the century, something or other. Woo! That'd be fun. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to, on that, Um, have a recommendation. Nice. Related to that. I just want to real quick, not that this is not known but like, just just think about John Carpenter's um, oeuvre. Well, his what do you call it? The movies he's made. Oeuvre. <laughs> yeah, like it's pretty fucking ridiculous. The the like his filmography. <laughs> so Dark Star. Have you seen Dark Star? His I first one. No, I, oh, I've dude, seen, it's fun. It's I've cool. seen clips from it. It's fucking. I know what it is. Yeah, it's wild. Um, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I think he got that. Just like it's like um. It's like when Chris Nolan had to do Insomnia to make his other shit. I remember not being too crazy about that one. Halloween, obviously. The Fog, which is great. Escape from New York, which is nuts. Just rewatch that. I loved it. Right? The Thing. I forgot that he did Christine. Yeah. Uh, The King Connection. Yep. Starman, which is weird. Big Trouble in Little China. I just never think of that as his movie. Really? Like, I don't know why. The, I don't, the main character I, is like such a John Carpenter, they I live know, type. It's weird. But yeah, it just, it's like I knew it, but didn't, it, whatever. Uh, then print, like you're saying, so Prince of Darkness is the, the middle of the trilogy. They live, which is fucking great because it, it is. Um, I've never seen this. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, the, the Chevy Chase one. I haven't seen it either. I don't know if it's supposed to be good or bad. Oh, no. I know of it. Anyway, then In the Mouth of Madness, uh, Village of the Damned, Escape from L.A., and then Vampires, Ghost of Mars. I tried to watch Ghost of Mars. Mm-hmm. Didn't, it's not good. Sorry. Um, but, man, those first, and now whatever, he's... 10, 15, no, the first 20 years of the shit that he made was, woo, boy. And producing and writing Amazing shit too. Right. Um, and so. now he is uh, occasionally tours his music. Yeah. Okay, great. Are you done with your? I'm done. Note? Let's do no more in the mouth of madness. Let's do our recommendations. Okay. Shall I go? Sure. 
Okay. I had another one. I'll save it for next <laughs> week. Because I just remembered, Tim, if you're into this stuff, if you somehow have the ability to access a GameCube. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you or, or you listening out there. At a GameCube. You got to play a Lovecraftian game. It was great, great, great. Called Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. Wow. And this game was so cool. Sounds light. It's so neat because it was all about like had that exact framework of, of what you're saying where it's like back in that Lovecraft time, whenever that is. And like you're starting out in a mystery, you know, where you're like in a house having to like pick up books off the wall or whatever. <laughs> but then it plays out where you're reading about these past characters going through these their own Lovecraftian like stories, you know, learning more and more about the mystery afoot. And that that's who you play as. So you're playing through history as all these different characters like that all add up to this overall story. And what's so cool is then the game itself does the sort of what is real, what isn't like horror thing where it's from like, from just sort of fun stuff of like, Oh yeah. So you, you know, in video games, you have your health bar Mm -hmm. and um, whatever else, this one, you have your, your health bar and you also have your sanity bar. (laughs) And like when that, as, I feel like you've told me yeah, about this before. It's great. It's, it's As you get more insane, like maybe you'll like walk into a room and all of a sudden you like your body will just fall apart and you'll be like, what? Or maybe like um, bugs will crawl on the screen as if it is your screen and it like, oh, looks that way. Shit. My favorite though, my friend, um, my friend, uh, Jesse, listener of the show, he, um, he, he was playing it once and, um, and uh, it like came on where he was like saving his game or whatever, and um, it it acted as if like he had moved the joystick the wrong way and accidentally hit like delete files. So it was like tricking him as to that all the the Holy save shit. files were being deleted, and he just like freaked out because he thought that he had just deleted my game. <laughs> but it's like the game; it shows that the files That's are deleted. So twisted. And then I just remember going like, oh fuck. And then, like, the screen flashes and it's all back, and he just went, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, how cool. I love that. For a game to do that. That's awesome. I don't know how you can play it. I hope it gets somehow, you know. Oh, you've got to be able to get a hold of it. Well, just. Right? Like, theoretically. You you can buy a GameCube and games. No, no, no. I mean, I bet you there's a way to find it online somehow. Yeah, something. I just hope it gets the sort of like update treatment that games get nowadays. That'd be cool. Of the the remaster. Yeah. Eternal Darkness Sandy's Requiem. Check it out if you can. Sweet. Okay, so here's mine. This is truly, truly horrible. Horrible. Horrifying. <laughs> Horrible. Horrifyingable. And I can't stop watching it. It's on Netflix. It's a show. And it's called Botched Up Bodies. And it's a BBC show about what you would expect. People who had like plastic surgery that went wrong tim and then and then people and then them going in to have that try to get it like corrected and holy fuck dude i thought i had a pretty good threshold for like like body horror stuff but this is obviously real and they show everything it's bbc there's no blurring out they're not editing around things like there's a couple women who get like their vaginas were like butchered from like having i forget what it's called like labiaectomy or something like that to try and make their labia look prettier stop you why are you recommending it oh dude because it's 
so fucking intense and like crazy. <laughs> Great. I like spend almost every episode like clenched up. <laughs> and then I, you know, and a couple of times I was watching it late, like midnight or whatever. And was like, this is the worst thing I should be watching before I go to bed. Like, it's a horrible idea. And I'm sure my neighbors are like, what the fuck is going on in there? Because every once in a while, as you may know, I'll just start yelling. Like there, I, I had dental stuff done in my life that was unpleasant. And there are a couple fucking dental people, like people who have like, like, think about this. One guy had... When they put dental implants in, they're literally screwing metal into your jawbone, like the upper jaw. Well, this guy, the guy who did it for this dude, missed the jaw, missed the bone. So these screws are just in his gums, but like floating. So the teeth that had been implanted were like movable. They're just loose. And he had to get all that shit extracted and then re-put in into the bone and they show fucking everything. <laughs> and it is way too much. Perfect but for you. Maybe the perfect amount. It is fucking intense. So, you know, if you're into that thing, <laughs> get into it. Check it out. Botched up bodies. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, um, next is, I think, one of our favorite parts of the show, Tim. <gasps> and I believe it's your turn. Is it? No. No, it's your turn, it's right? It's my turn. Yeah. You pulled in the mouth oh, of madness. I did. Right. We're pulling our movie for next week, folks. What's it going to be? Oh, you wanted this one. Shivers. Ooh. <laughs> Shivers. <laughs> Cronenberg. 75. Yes. Cool. Oh, shit. I still have to watch The Brood. Yes, you do. You have my, my blue raw. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do that today. Some good stuff. In you that. know what else I still have to watch? I saw the devil. I know. <laughs> yeah, God this is the it. part of the show where I'm supposed to ask Tim if he's seen I Saw the Devil. I haven't. Fuck. Tim's new favorite movie. Um, <laughs> great. Well, you should if you haven't seen Shivers, you should watch it. Yeah. Join us next week. Until then, you can find us at dismemberinghorror.com. You can email us at dismemberinghorror at gmail.com. Yeah, you know, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps out. Tell a friend, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. In closing, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>